the parable of the prodigal son. That's what we're talking about last week, this week, and next. It's probably the most famous story ever told. You're familiar with it, right? Most people are. Can you imagine telling this story to someone who had never heard it? They would never guess how it ends. I actually had that opportunity in 1998. I was living in Joplin, Missouri at the time, and a church in Fort Scott, Kansas asked me to come up and preach Sunday night through Wednesday night. And the pastor said, why don't you come up early and before service, we can go visit people in their homes. It, like somebody who maybe had a question about baptism or maybe they were new to the church, they want to ask some questions. So one of the homes we went to, it was pretty ramshackled. It was just a little one bedroom apartment, poor part of town. The tenant was a single black mom. 1998, Fort Scott, Kansas, as you can imagine, she was on the low edge of the societal totem pole. She had come to the church because a friend invited her, and she, she liked it all right, but she just couldn't believe that she belonged. She hadn't been to church in her life, so this was all new to her. She felt like a fish out of water. And I'm saying, no, you belong. God loves you. And she just, the expression on her face was so confused, like, what do you mean God loves me? God loves you. No one had ever loved her, certainly no authority figure. Not her father, not her lover, not her teachers. She had been pretty much used, abused, and tossed out by everyone important in her life. So when I said God loves you, is like I, she didn't know how to wrap her mind around that. So I thought, okay, I'll throw a scripture at it, that'll help. I said, you know, it's like the parable of the prodigal son. And she said, I don't know that one. Oh, of course you do, dumb me. I said, yeah, you know, it's about the, the father, he had two sons. He was a farmer and the younger son hated the farm, didn't want anything to do with his dad, basically told his dad, drop dead, I want your money, I'm out of here. She said, I haven't heard that story in my life. I got to tell her the story for the very first time. She was mesmerized by Jesus' story. And you know me, I just get wrapped up in the details and I'm telling her all the story and she's like right there. Even in the pigsty, she was right there. Not because she knew about Jewish culture. You know, for Jews, pigs are unclean animals. So for a Jewish boy to be feeding pigs, you don't get any lower than that. She didn't need to know the culture, she knew the life. That was her biography. And maybe some of you can relate. She knew what the lifestyle smelled like. And so I, I told her about the boy in the pigsty saying, I, I know what I'll do. I'll think, like, I'll create a speech to talk my way back into the father's house. Now, I know I'll never be a son again. That bridge is burned. But I could be a slave in his house. I could at least eat like my father's servant eat. So he crafted this soliloquy, this, this, this speech he's going to give to his dad. And then he goes home to deliver the speech. And a long way off, the father saw the son. And I got to that part of the story, and I said, I forgot that she didn't know how the story ended. And I said, you know what the father did? She lunged out of her tattered little couch and said, no, what did he do? She didn't know. I, 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 I was brought back to reality. And I got to tell her for the first time, the father ran to his son. The waterworks opened. She just started 
crocodile tears. And she could only choke out one word. Really? I was undone. And I could only choke out one word. Really? I'm desperate for you to get to the really. Because there's some of you, maybe you're on one of our campuses right now, and you feel like a fish out of water. I don't belong, and everyone around me, their life is so much more together than mine. No, really, you belong in the Father's house. Really, the Father will embrace you too. I'm desperate for you. God is desperate for you to know his unfathomable, unpredictable, unrelenting love. So let's, let's start at the beginning, could we? As if we've never heard this parable before. Let's start with the title. It is called the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you've heard that title. As Ashley mentioned last week, that's the wrong title. Because there wasn't one son, there were two. The younger brother got lost abroad. The older brother got lost at home. The younger brother got lost in sin. The older brother got lost in, well, judgmentalism, bigotry. So it should be called the parable of the prodigal's sons. There were two. And last week, Ashley talked about the younger brother. Next week, he'll talk about the older brother. Today, we're talking about the father. So I want to make a suggestion, okay? It's going to be wild. It's going to be an odd suggestion, but I think we should change the title to the parable of the prodigal father. You think, well, the father never left home. I know. That's not what the word prodigal means. Here's the dictionary definition of prodigal. Spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. Now let me ask you, who was more extravagant, the son or the father? Like if you give a 24-year-old reckless child a wad of cash, they're gonna burn through it in a day and a half. You know that. The father, he's been, he's been a farmer for decades. He knows what good business is. He knows the boy is gonna lose the money but he still gives it to him. That is reckless. Second definition is having or giving something on a lavish scale. You wanna talk about the love of the father? That's lavish. It's even, in fact, reckless. And as Jesus describes God as this recklessly lavish father, the Pharisees, they got their arms crossed just going, there's no way, no way. Like, you can't describe God like that. So I want to begin where I left off with a single mom in 1998. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. Here's what it says. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him. Literally, that means he fell on his neck. You, you can see it happening and kissed him. That's where this mom, like she couldn't believe it. By the way, she got baptized that night and gave her life to Christ and she was in fact loved by the Father and by that church. And I hope that for you. But the question is, why did the Father run? Men in the Middle East don't run. It's beneath their dignity. Even Aristotle, the famous philosopher, said, you can tell a man's station by his gait. If you're running, it means you're a victim of a crime or a slave of somebody else. But if you're a man of nobility, baby, you just slow roll it. Because you don't have to be in a hurry to get anywhere. 
That's what you expect out of this kind of a father. But he runs. Why? If you were here last week, you probably know. Remember Ashley taking that big old pot and smashing it on the ground and it flew into a hundred pieces? That was a ceremony called kizeza. And it's what happened when a Jewish boy lost his inheritance among foreigners. When he comes back to the village, that's what the whole village does. If you didn't see the sermon, do yourself a favor, catch it online, watch it on demand. But the kizeza was what the villagers were going to do to this boy. When the father sees his son a long way off, he needs to race to his son to embrace him before the villagers reject him. Because if they break the pot, if the stench of what was burned inside that pot flows out, they're saying, you are a stench to us, you're a broken pot, you are no longer welcome here. I think that's why the father ran. And he goes before the villagers can get to the son. I've thought about this a lot, actually. How Jesus described God the Father as recklessly extravagant. That's going to go over as well as a hot dog at Hanukkah. They're not going to like God being described as irresponsible. And I don't think religious people like that today either. In fact, there's a lot of older brothers who object to God just willy-nilly accepting people back. I just want to say gently to you older brothers, God could care less about your opinion. He cares a lot about a prodigal son who's coming back home. And if you're the prodigal, my guess is that your opinion of God is no different than those religious people. Because they think, well, God is all about rules. God is all about law. God is just. God's going, I don't, I don't care about your opinion to me. I want to have a relationship with you. Now, God does have rules, but he cares more about your relationship. God does have laws, but he cares way more about love, and he will do whatever it takes, even if it loses his dignity, so that he can embrace you to come back home. And that's why the father ran to his son. But that's not all he did. This recklessly, this father who is, who is recklessly, wildly generous, he also received his son. And I want to show you how that played out because there's a lesson here for us. Verse 21, then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 19, make me like one of your hired servants. That's how it was supposed to end. But that's not how it actually ends. Remember, in the pigsty, the son said, I've got this speech, I'm gonna give my dad the speech, I'm gonna talk him back into letting me in the house. Not as a son, but as a servant. He never finished this line. Why? I can only guess. But here's my guess. Like most of us, the son thought that he had to undo what he had done. He had lost his father's family inheritance, so now he has to come back home, he has to serve as a slave, and repay what he had lost. He has no clue what he's actually lost. It's not about the money, it's never been about the money. 
It's not about your sexual exploits. It's never been about your sexual exploits. It's not about your divorce. It's never been about your divorce. It is about the relationship that God wants to have with you. That's what was lost, a relationship, not an inheritance. And suddenly, when the father embraces, recklessly embraces his boy, the son realizes, my my offense against my father is not money that I can pay back. It's a broken heart that I cannot ever heal. If the relationship is to be restored, the father has to fix it. The son can't. And that is my guess. That's why the son never finished his speech. He never said, I will become your servant because he realized the foolishness of that. And I imagine there's some here today right now that you, you, like, you came to church because you promised God, if you'll fix my life, I'll go to church every day for the rest of my life. That'll fix it. No. God, if you help me out of this mess, I, I swear to you, I will tithe. I will tithe everything. Even the government check. I'll, like, I'll tithe that too. It's not about the money. It's not about your obedience. You're not gonna work your way back into the grace of God. It's his grace for you that will fix the broken heart. I actually had a collision course with the Bible on this, I was preparing for this message and I discovered something I had never seen before. It just dropped me. I was doing my daily Bible reading and I ran into Deuteronomy 21. I know this, like, who reads Deuteronomy 21? Well, when you read through the Bible, it's like, I was there. It's not because I'm good, it's because God gave it to me. It just happened to be the week I was looking into this message that I ran across this passage, and I'm gonna warn you, this is a horrible verse. Now, don't criticize me for saying part of the Bible is horrible until you hear the horribleness of it. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy 21. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard, like some of us. Then all the men of this town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. I told you it's horrible. And I'm telling you right now, if God told me, kill your son, I don't care how rebellious my son is, I wouldn't do it. Would you? Kill a son for being rebellious? Some of you are actually in that situation right now. Moms and dads, you have a daughter that she's off the rails and your heart breaks for your child. You have a son that you may not even know where he is right now. You may not know what he's arrested for. You may not know what addictions he has. You just know your heart is breaking for your child and what, what do you do with a wayward child? Why would God give a law that he know that he knows we won't keep it. I don't think we can. And as near as I can tell, no one ever did. Why would God give such a law? Because this is what blew me away. God intended to keep his own law. God killed his son. Not a rebellious son, a righteous, sinless son. 
He sent to die in your place and mine. That's the story of the gospel. Like clear back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 21, we get a glimpse of the gospel. What we could not do, what we would not do, God did for us. And if you think I'm like exaggerating this, let me just read the next verse. This is the very next set of uh, statements that comes after the rebellious son. Verse 22, if someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury, that, bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. That's the story of Jesus. Like literally, the day Jesus died, he was put on a cross. A righteous man named Joseph of Arimathea went to Pontius Pilate, the governor, and said, Governor, we have a law. He quoted Deuteronomy 21. According to our law, we can't leave a man hanging on a pole overnight. Please give me permission to take him down and bury him, and he did. This is not so much a law as a prophecy. And God knows that you're not going to keep it, so he did. Your father in heaven, with reckless extravagance, sent his son to die in your place. And in the parable itself, you actually see the gospel in code. Let's decode it, can we? Luke chapter 15, verse 22. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. We, we have three elements here, a robe, a ring, and sandals. That's the gospel. The robe is Christ. Galatians chapter three, verse 27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. The ring, it's not decoration, it's not jewelry, it's a signet ring. It has a, it has a family crest on it, and anyone who had that ring could push it into a seal of wax or clay, and they had the authority, the signature of the Father. And that's what God has given to you in his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Here it is. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. That's a signet ring, the promised Holy Spirit. The robe is Christ. The ring is the Holy Spirit. And the sandals, that's the gospel. Ephesians chapter six, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the entire story of the gospel is embedded in this little parable. And I'm desperate for someone here to know that. Maybe you're watching online because you're too nervous to actually set foot on one of our campuses. If you are, I just wanna tell you, you're welcome here. There's, there's gonna be no judgment, there's gonna be no rejection. You're not gonna have to repay your sins, you can't. You see, everyone here, all of us, all of us have been embraced by the Father and all of us knows what a pigsty smells like. But the point of the parable is not just to not be the younger brother, not be the older, but the point of the parable is actually to embrace others like the father did. We began in chapter 15 of Luke, verses one and two, with these Pharisees standing around Jesus. 
They see some sinners around Jesus and they say, how dare you hang out with sinners? Like birds of a feather flock together. Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, it's not about who I am, it's about who my father is. And he showed this recklessly extravagant God. And that's our call. So I'm gonna ask a very serious question. What will it cost you to become like the Father? What would it cost you to find someone who is, they can't even imagine that God would love them and tell them this story for the first time? What would it cost you to invite a neighbor, a family member, a friend to our Easter service to bring them into the presence of God so that they can feel the embrace of the Father through your hands. I was thinking about this, and I ran across a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's not actually about the biblical story. It's, it's about a painting by Rembrandt. In 1635, Rembrandt did a self-portrait, and this is what it looked like. It's called, this is Rembrandt here, it is called the prodigal in the harlot's house. He was bragging about his wild living, about his drinking, his excess in spending. The woman on his lap, remember the title? Prodigal in the harlot's house? This is his wife, Saskia. I don't know what she thought about the title of the painting, but there you have it. The year he painted this, 1635, his son, Rubertus, died. Four years later, his daughter Cornelia died. Two years after that, Saskia, his wife, died, leaving Rembrandt with only one surviving family member, a nine-month-old child named Titus. Rembrandt blew through all his cash. He was wildly popular and very wealthy, but he lost it all. He lost his family. He lost his dignity. He lost his money. And by the time he died, he had even lost his eyesight. Rembrandt, 35 years later, painted another picture. Some scholars think it's the finest work he ever did. He could only see inches in front of him. You, you want to see it? If you want to see the original, you have to go to St. Petersburg. It's actually three times the size of this one. Do you want to see it? It is a masterpiece. One of the things that is odd about this painting is the central figure, the father, is not in the center of the painting. Because what Rembrandt is doing is contrasting the two sons. And you see the son, who's the father has sided with. It's not the righteous older brother standing at attention, looking down on his brother. Ashley's gonna talk about this next week. I want you to notice the prodigal son. This boy is at the end of his rope. He has no hope if not for the father. And he kneels before the father in repentance, pleading with him, just make me a slave. And the father says, no, no, I'll have none of it. You are going to be my son. His robes are tattered. He's disheveled. In fact, I don't know if you notice this, sandals on his feet or one foot. He, he's lost everything. He's, he's hanging on by a bare thread. 
There is one interesting detail, and almost no one sees it. Right around his belt is a little dagger. You can see some jewels on it if you look really, really close. He didn't get that when he was in a distant country. That comes from the Father. And I want to say to you today, whether you're watching online or whether you're on one of our campuses, there's always a reminder that you belong to the Father. If you look hard enough, you can see it. There's always some subtle clue. Maybe it's a song that you hear on the radio or a verse that you remember from childhood. Maybe it's a dream that you have while you're asleep. But God will always remind you, you are mine. And where you're living, that's not your home. That's not where you were destined to be. You belong in my house. That's when the Father calls you back home. But the most majestic thing about this painting is the Father himself. And Rembrandt did two things that are remarkable. Notice his his hands. The right hand, which in in the Bible is the strong hand, your strong right arm. The right hand is far more tender than the left. The left hand has the strength, but the right hand is tender. And the hands of the Father match the feet of the Son. Where you are exposed, where you are undone, the strength of the Father is in his tenderness. Not his law, but his love. Where you have even a fragment of strength, God will put his strong hand on you and lift you up and raise you up again to the position you were meant to be. These hands are Rembrandt's hands. He painted himself into the Father. So are his eyes. Look closely at the eyes of the Father and you will see he's blind. He looks past your past to see your future. Rembrandt put himself in the painting as the father. That's a a pretty serious lesson for all of us. And he's got it right. It's not enough to not be the prodigal. It's not enough to not be the older brother. Your faith is determined by how much you look like your father. And until you have your hands on the back of someone who needs to come home, because you're blind to their past so that they can see their future until you are bringing someone back home. You haven't fulfilled the parable of Jesus. Your destiny is not to not be, but to become the Father. I just just want to challenge you straight up. Who are you going to bring to Easter? Who do you know that has never really heard this parable? Maybe it's a single mom. Or maybe it's someone strung out on drugs. Maybe it's a super successful businessman or businesswoman, a CEO who knows not Christ. It is our job as the hands of Jesus, as the feet of Jesus, as the eyes of God to see who they really are. This is such an important challenge. I don't want to rush through it. So I'm going to ask on all of our campuses that our bands come out and they're going to lead us in a prayer. I'm begging you, I'm desperate for you to hear this prayer. It's it's a prayer of the prodigal to the father. 
That's the first verse. The second verse is the father speaking back to the son. I want you to listen because God wants to speak to you right now. Let's pray together.